as we prepare to give this morning, I'd like to call the ushers forward if they would come. Let's all stand together as we give unto his name. And what a joy it is to give because we, we know that God has given us everything that we have, 100%. And when we give back to God, we tithe 10% or more sometimes. We give back to God. We say, God, this is what you've given to me. And I thank you for, for all that you've provided for me. Think about this this morning. God has given you life. He's given you health. He's given you the breath, the air that you breathe this morning. And today we're able to give back to him and say, God, thank you. God, use what you've given me for the furtherance of your kingdom. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you so much for all that you are. Thank you that you are the God of the universe and you have everything in your control. Lord, we thank you that for the peace that you have given us by knowing that. Lord, I come to you now and I thank you for our church family, Lord. We have a wonderful church family. You've blessed us up here at Crossroads, Lord. And uh, we, we, you've blessed us with a wonderful people. And, Lord, as your people now give to you, as they respond to you, Lord, they follow you in obedience to give with a joyful heart. Lord, we're reminded that you have given us 100% of what we have. And as we give this back to you, Lord, we ask you to, to use the, our tithes and our offerings to touch people here in Finleyville, Pittsburgh, around the world, Lord. We just ask that you'll do mighty things. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated, please. Not because of who I am, 
But because of what you've done Not because of what I've done But because of who you are I am a flower quickly fading Here today and gone tomorrow A wave tossed in the ocean A vapor in the wind Still you hear me when I'm calling Lord, you catch me when I'm falling And you told me who I am I am yours Not because of who I am but because of what you've done and not because of what I've done but because of who you are I am a flower quickly fading here today and gone tomorrow a wave tossed in the ocean a vapor in the wind still you hear me when Lord, you catch me when I'm falling, and you told me who I am. I am yours. I am yours. I am Mike for that powerful song and I'd like to just take a moment if you could at the friendship folder that's in front of you or at the, the one end of your aisle if you could kindly take that and uh, make sure we have a remembrance of your time with us today in, in the uh, friendship folder. I mentioned in the first service that we were able to tell the people in the Philippines, uh, James Leonisa Tika and also uh, the people at the orphanage, uh, that money was going to be on its way. Uh, for them from the birthday gift of Jesus. And we have them on speakerphone. We have, it's called Viber, so you're able to call or text for free uh, from one cell phone to another cell phone, and we did that. They're on speakerphone, and when I told James Lee we were sending over $5,000, uh, Lisa, like, lost her mind. She was dropping things. They're, they're shouting, and, and he, James Lee's like, Al, this is just perfect timing. Uh, he said, Are you, this isn't a joke, is it? Uh, just so excited. And the same thing at the orphanage. They're just thrilled. Uh, they, they don't expect it, and, uh, but we get to be a part of that. And, and what a pleasure that is. This morning I'm going to speak on the journey of life is an amazing race when Jesus is in the lead. In Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1 through 2, we read the following. Therefore, since we are surrounded by 
such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith. Let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. If you could have been with Jesus for any event in his life, what would you choose? Would it be to be in Bethlehem when God became flesh? Would it be when Jesus fed 5,000 men plus women and children from only five loaves of bread and, and two fish? Would have it been when Jesus said to the storm, peace be still, and the waves calmed? Would have it been when Jesus was giving sight to the blind? Would have it been when Jesus was giving strength to legs of a man that couldn't walk for 38 years? And when I read that in the book of John, I think back to when I had my partial knee replacement last November. I was a mess. My wife always reminds me, I told her, honey, they'll do the surgery. In two to three days, I will be good to go. She was going to send me to a home. That would have been the good to go part. But my first time to outpatient therapy, you know, first, they almost have to help you into the place. It was snowy and a little bit icy. I got in, you go through all the routine, and, and I thought, this isn't going to be good. Then he told me to get on a treadmill, and I thought, this is so hard. It was only going 1.4 mile an hour. I mean, you're barely moving. I could have just stood there, and it wouldn't have mattered. But this guy hadn't walked in all that time, and Jesus said, I want you to get up, pick up your mat, and go. And he did. And the legs were fine. He healed him. Would you have wanted to be outside the tomb of Lazarus when Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth? And Lazarus walked out. Would you have wanted to be outside the tomb of Jesus when he burst forth out of the tomb and he proved he was God by conquering death? Would you have wanted to be with Peter and James and John when they saw the transfiguration of Jesus Christ and Moses and Elijah showing up? Well, Peter wanted to stay in the moment. And usually we would love to remain on the mountaintop too. However, Jesus took his disciples down from the mountain to return to the routine of life. And how often you and I also have to return to the routine of life. There is a group of people in the first century who had embraced Christ and got off to an incredible start with their uh, life in Christ. But now they were starting to face some struggles and were at a crisis point to turn back to Judaism. From following Christ by faith, they were starting to sort of turn back and say, we, we've got to embrace the law again. But they were encouraged by the writer of Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32. Let's read this together, please. Think back on those early days when you first learned about Christ. Remember how you remained faithful, even though it meant terrible suffering. This morning, we're going to go through some things on how do I sustain spiritual momentum. And I don't want you to see this as simply a formula. Formulas are good, but sometimes we forget our life in Christ. Formulas may help a little, but we have to always remind ourselves of God's incredible mercy. He tells us that his mercy is new every morning. 
The word tells us the just man falls seven times, but he's able to get back up again because of God. Because of his amazing grace that's able to, to just lavish us and to be there for us. His faithfulness. He reminds us that he is faithful even when we are not faithful. His faithfulness is so great. And his forgiveness. His continual forgiveness. Remember, he, he loves us. He watches us fall. He watches us hurt. But yet he continues to do this. He continues to say, I love you. He continues to offer us forgiveness. Well, how do I sustain spiritual momentum? First, I will find strength from those who have gone before me. In Hebrews chapter 12, we're reminded, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith. Hebrews 11 gives a list of men and women, some well-known and, and some obscure, that had one thing in common. They had an unswerving faith and belief in God that they were not willing to let go of. They had that, that they knew God was going to be there. They knew that there had been times past when things went wrong, and God showed up, and he was there. They had learned that he, they would never be forgotten, they would never be abandoned, they would never be forsaken. Romans chapter 15, verse 4, we read, Such things were written in the scriptures long ago to teach us. Remember, God wants to do something with his word in our lives. He wants to continue to teach us, continue to remind us, continue to help us. It's not about saying, listen, here's a book that's not alive. His word is living. Some books are fun to read, but God's word continues to offer hope in the process. There are also people around us who have been a huge encouragement in our faith. And I wonder today, can you think of some people in your life that when you look to, they've sort of been that, they've been that rock for you. You've watched them go through difficult times. You've watched them go through good times. You've watched them in moments of laughter. You've watched them in moments of tear. And they have just continued to walk the walk of faith. They've had an absolute resolve in their life that God is still God. And no matter what, it doesn't matter. I think of a, a man when I was in the, the United States Navy, a, a man I went to his church. He's Filipino. Benabrero was about five foot three inches tall, so I was actually taller than him. He weighed about 90 pounds. He had three lung conditions. I'll never forget Gavino Tika telling me Pastor Brera was in the hospital. I was able to get him insurance, and he always used to say, I don't need the insurance. I only stay in the hospital for a day or two. Well, things were going bad in his life. Gavino Tika went to visit him. And when we left, I'll never forget this. He said to me, he said, Al, I want you to know something about Ben. He said, when he and I were in Bible college together, we used to jokingly take bets on when he would take his last breath. He said he was breathing like this when he was 18 years old. Ben Abrera thought at that time he was 59. He was actually 63. His goal in life was to live to 60. They needed his birth certificate for something, and they got it. He saw he was 63 years old, and his wife told me, he said, when he looked at the paper, he looked up at me and he said, I guess the goal's accomplished. And he went to be with the Lord three weeks later. But I look at him and I think, pastoring a church, 
He could hardly breathe. He could hardly speak. He, he, didn't, he didn't have much flesh on his bones at all. But he loved God. He just continued to, to exude what, what and who God was. If you don't have a person like that in your life, I encourage you to start to look around. Listen, there are people in this church today who I look to like that. And some of the people are no longer with us. But they are that example of a life of faith. Number two, I will put off that which trips me up. Let us strip off every weight that slows us down, and especially the sin that so easily trips us up. In 2002, Lloyd Scott ran the London Marathon in the world's slowest time. He finished the race, the 26.2-mile race in five days, eight hours, and 29 minutes. The reason was because he was wearing a diver suit with a full metal helmet on. He did it as a fundraiser. Now, I would never attempt to run a marathon without the suit, let alone the suit. And some of you are thinking, was it air-conditioned? I don't think so. Uh, but it, it's an amazing thing. But I'll put off those things that sort of trip me up. First of all, let go of sin. God's word serves as a mirror for us. He is able to point out the changes that need to be made in our life. When we read God's word, he has a way of, of just showing us things all the time. And it doesn't end. Remember, he knows us better than we are able to know ourselves. The word tells us our hearts are de desperately uh, deceitful and wicked. Who can know them? But God knows them. When I read the word, God knows, Al, this is what you need. And it can be a systematic reading plan. It doesn't matter. God still shows up, and he shows us things. But he's able to point out the changes that need to be made in our life. He's not just saying, you're not a good person. You don't have hope. There's nothing that can be done with you. God says, this is what needs to be changed. And he also offers ways of how to change it. Because remember, he is there for us. He wants to continue to work in our lives. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6 tells us, being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will be able to perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. He wants to continue to accomplish work in our lives. I love what David said in Psalm chapter 119 and verse 73. He said, you made me and you created me. Now give me the sense to follow your commands. I love that. Lord, you made me, you created me. Dear Jesus, just give me the sense to follow you. And sometimes we just need that. Instead of, it, it's not all on us. He wants it to be on him. You know, we, we sometimes look at the, the poem Footprints in the Sand and we get excited about the, the one pair of footprints and we think that was Jesus. But in our own life, we forget Jesus is still there. He still wants us to take us through life. He wants to be in the lead of the race. Sometimes we need to let go of the unnecessary. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 7. You were running the race so well. Who has held you back from following the truth? You're doing so well. Paul wrote that to the Galatian people because of the same thing. They, were, they are off and about for Jesus. They understood that they were forgiven they understood they had the gift of eternal life. They understood that Jesus was their best friend. And then they started to go back and they sort of wanted to embrace the law. 
They, they just wanted to hold on to some of the rules, so to speak. Sometimes we, we put the blame on, on the Lord. And I understand none of us here would probably say, I blame God. But there are times in our life when we really do. Sometimes it's because of unfulfilled promises. We see something maybe in God's word and we, we decide that God has made this promise and it doesn't come to pass and, and we sort of say, God, why? I don't think God has a problem with us asking why. He just doesn't want us to stay in the why. He wants to move us through the process. But there are sometimes just unfulfilled promises. We decide that God should be something. And you know what? There are times in our life when God didn't promise to be what he thought he promised to be. Remember, it's his word. He shows us who he is from his word. Does he not? Nahum chapter 1, verse 7, the Bible says the Lord is good. He is a stronghold in any time of trouble, and he cares for those who trust in him. So when people wonder, is God good? According to his word, he is. That's part of who he is. Sometimes because of unanswered prayer. Have you ever prayed for something and you didn't get it? And some of you would say, all the time, right? Usually we think of answered prayer as being all the yeses. Uh, children, we just got through Christmas, so children, I'm sure, all over the world were praying for certain gifts. And they get up on Christmas morning and they expect that gift, and sometimes they have it, and sometimes they do not. And there are a lot of moments in our life when we're expecting God to show up in a certain way, and he doesn't show up the way we thought he should have. But I've learned a little bit in my life that God loves me more than anybody else. God cares about me more than I will ever care about myself. And God is actively involved in answering prayer. Just sometimes not the way we think he should. And it could be because of unexplained problems. And we do. We live in a world filled with problems. Well, Jesus told his disciples, in this world you will have problems. He made that promise to them. So we can be assured that when there are problems in our life... Jesus said there would be problems. But Jesus also said that he had overcome the world. And sometimes we put the blame on others. You look around and because somebody has offended you, somebody has hurt you, somebody has mistreated you, somebody has let you down, they were supposed to be, maybe they were that person who had that incredible walk of faith with Christ. And something took place in their life and, and so now you look at them and you think, it's their fault that I'm, I'm sort of struggling here. Sometimes because of others. And it's sometimes because of just different distractions in our lives. And we do live with a lot of distractions, don't we? We live in real time. My wife knows her husband. I can get distracted real easy. You know, and it's, it's sort of like she'll ask me to do something, I'll say yes. And she'll come back and I'm... Send in a text or something. And she'll say, are you going to do that? And I'll say, do what? Because it's gone. It's almost like if I don't do it in real time, it's, it's not going to happen unless it was written down. But there are a lot of distractions in our lives. But we need to let go of the unnecessary. Philippians chapter 3, verse 13. The Apostle Paul said, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. 
The Apostle Paul had a lot of different things in his life. He had a lot of regrets. He had moments of shame. He had, he had thoughts that he wished he didn't have. And you and I do too. And the Apostle Paul said, this is what I've chosen to do. I'm going to forget the past. The problem is, we always seem to remember it, don't we? The things we're supposed to remember, we forget. The things that would be better to forget, we remember. Something I've tried to do in my life, when those things come back, if it's about forgiveness, I'll say, Jesus, I know I'm forgiven for this. Thank you for your forgiveness. Because I know it's going to come back. If it's something that I, I shouldn't be, you know, just can't forget, holding on to the past on something, I try to remind myself. I just say, Jesus, you know. Help me. And remember, he wants to help us. He wants to be there for us. He doesn't expect us to do it on our own. What's something today maybe you need to let go of? What is something maybe you need to just lay at the feet of Jesus Christ? And it may be something you have to continue to leave there. Because we all understand that. Life hurts. But I know this much, God does heal. He's about healing our hearts. Thirdly, I will have to choose to persevere until I cross the finish line. It's a choice. Chapter 12, let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. Caruso's voice teacher said that he had no voice and he told his parents he would never be able to sing. Walt Disney was fired by a newspaper company for the lack of ideas and creativity. Henry Ford failed and went broke five times before he ever succeeded. Beethoven's teacher told his, him and his parents that he would never be able to have the hope of becoming a composer. Countless sports individuals that did very well professionally, however, got off to a slow start in earlier years. David was just a shepherd boy. What could he accomplish in life? What could he do for the Almighty God? He became king. Peter, the fisherman, the guy that, that smells like the fish, he was the one that God used to preach to the crowd after and 3,000 people came to Christ at one time. Not too bad. I remember when I was in seventh grade, I had to do a speech. I got my little report back, and the teacher put on there this. She said, I don't think this is a good idea. I didn't know what that meant, so I, I asked her, I said, was that something I was supposed to say? And she said, Al... Just don't ever do anything where you have to talk in front of people. That's encouraging, isn't it? And there are some other issues. I spent a lot of time in speech therapy before that. When I was in 12th grade, I was cut short of my speech. I took a speech class. I was watching people do these creative speeches. I got up to do my speech. The teacher stopped me before I got started. I said a few things, and she said, Al, just sit down. So I sat down. Well, God delivered me, because now I can't stop talking. In the race of life, God is always more interested in how you finish than how fast you start. Frank Shorter won the gold medal in the marathon at Munich, Germany in 1972. And Frank Shorter said this, No one has ever ran 26 miles 
at five-minute miles on good looks and a secret recipe. And how true that is. Eugene Peterson said, there's a great market for religious experience in our world, but there's little enthusiasm for the slow and patient acquisition of character and virtue. Several years ago, Larry Bullard, a man I'd known when I was in the Navy, sent me a, a, a message that he had spoken. He was talking about discipleship and how we often decide who is going to make it for God. He told the story of a young sailor who came to Christ. Did not seem excited enough. He just didn't have passion. He didn't have zeal. So he and the other men did not bother to follow up on him. He said, it was one person we decided you don't need to disciple. He's not going to last. He went on to say that by God's grace, this guy fell in love with God's word. He prayed, told others about Christ. He loved Jesus. He rarely missed church, and he was serving the Lord in the Philippines. And as, as I was listening to the message, I was trying to think who he was talking about. Did I know him? I was at Great Lakes Naval Base for a year, and I thought, who is this guy? And as I was listening, I was wondering, uh, you know, what's going on? And finally he said his name, Albert Finney. I thought, what? I didn't even know that. Because they never came up to me and said, Al, we're not going to disciple you because we don't think you're worth it. I couldn't believe it. I was appalled. I thought, me? But the amazing thing is, sometimes life is like that. But we have to make, persevere to choose to cross the finish line. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 58. Let's read this together, please. So my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. What an encouragement. Whatever we do for the Lord, it has value. Genesis chapter 5 and verse 24, a man by the name of Enoch. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 5 verse 24, and Enoch walked with God. And he was not because God took him. I'd like to ask you today, how's your walk with the Lord? The amazing thing about it, remember, he's right there beside us. He's right there for us. He's passionate about me. He's passionate about you. And sometimes we look around and, and you may see somebody else and say, they're doing so much better than I am. But you don't know that. I don't know that. We're able to see what we can see, and that's all. God's able to see what's on the inside. That was the case with David. You know, man looks on the outward appearance. God looks on the heart. Allow God to just walk with you. Take those moments and enjoy his presence. Take time to enjoy the fellowship, so to speak. When I was single, and after I'd come to Christ, I had gotten a habit of just talking out loud to, to Jesus all the time. Part of it, I was on a ship for three years, spent a lot of time at sea, so you could go out at night, nobody's out there, and you could just talk to the Lord and look at the beautiful sky and, and enjoy it. And I'll never forget, years ago, I was downstairs in the, the hallway one night, 
Uh, and this is when I was still single, and I was, I was just talking to the Lord. I was doing whatever I was doing and, and talking. Didn't think anything of it. And finally I heard Pastor Arnold's voice say, Al, is that you? And I thought, uh-oh. Because I knew what I was doing. I was talking out loud. And I said, yes. And he said, who's with you? Now that's a great question, right? Uh, number four, I need to keep my eyes on Jesus. I need to keep my eyes on Jesus. Amazing thing about it, we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. Peter walked on the water. Wouldn't that have been a great sight to see? They had been ministering with Jesus, the disciples were, and they were working with him. They were tired, and, and Jesus said, listen, guys, get in the boat, go to the other side. I'll catch up with you guys later. They're in the boat, they're on the water, they're going across, and all of a sudden they thought they saw a ghost coming to them. I'm sure they had a lot of fear. We can only imagine what was going on in that little boat. And Jesus yelled out to them, don't be afraid, it's me, it's Jesus. And Peter, of course, because he always had to say something, Peter said, Jesus, if it's you, let me come out and meet you. So Jesus said, come on, Peter. And Peter got out of the boat. Now, we can criticize Peter for anything we want to, but the reality is he had a lot of faith. He accomplished great things. He just happened to be, he was going to be the guy that take the lead. If nobody else would do something, he would do it. He gets out of the boat. He starts to go to Jesus. And we can picture it. He's starting to look around, maybe look back at disciples, said, hey, Andrew, hey, John, how you guys doing? Look at me. I'm on the water. No hands. Didn't need his hands. He was on his feet. He's going on the water, and all of a sudden, he started to sink. And he said, Lord, save me. And Jesus reached out, helped him back to the boat. They got inside the boat. And we know what happened there. Peter took his eyes off Christ. He started to look around and he saw the waves. He thought of the water. Listen, he was a fisherman. I learned in the Philippines that a lot of fishermen are afraid of the water because of what they respect it as, of what can really happen. John said that Jesus must increase and I must decrease. It was something that John said, this has to happen. Jesus has to keep on becoming greater and I myself have to keep on becoming less. Not in the terms of having no value, but just in the terms of how we are viewing ourselves instead of looking to him. Back in November, uh, we took many of our teens to Teen Quest Ranch for a retreat. And on Friday night, we were informed that they are going to let us go into a corn maze, an eight-acre corn maze. I'd never gone into a corn maze in my life, but I thought, okay, I'm going to do this. Uh, Dan McNeese, Jason Hodgson, and myself were the, basically the last three to enter the corn maze. We're looking around. Hey, you want to go in together? Sure. I didn't pay attention to what was behind us, what was in front of us. We went into this corn maze, and I thought, they'll know what to do. Well, we're in the corn maze. Dan McNeese, only Dan would do this. He had come straight from work. He had dress shoes on and, and dress pants. We're in this muddy cornfield and, uh, you know, going through this maze. We didn't know where we were. It was getting worse. And we had a young guy join in with us. I mentioned to Jason Hodgson, I said, Jason, I said, you know, survivalists would like point a, a point in the stars and they would have this figured out. Well, we weren't survivalists. Jason Hodgson told the young guy that was with us, I was a Navy SEAL. 
This young guy's got his phone, or I've been a Navy SEAL, you know, so we'll be okay, get out of this. This guy, he's going around with his phone, must have had his compass out. Remember, Dan, he's like, okay, now we're traveling east. Now we're traveling north. And he's just telling us which direction. And I thought, I don't even know which way the, the exit is. Fortunately, Jason Hodgson had enough sense. He kept on looking for a light on the barn. And he'd say, there's the barn. And we'd see the barn, and then next thing you knew, we didn't see the barn. We just kept, we just kept walking. We told one group, don't go that way. That's not the exit. Later we found out that was the exit. <laughs> Jason said this. Jason said, Al, if it's 5 o'clock in the morning and we're still out here, I'm texting Courtney and asking for help. And, uh, you know, because it gets scary. Well, John chapter 5, verse 39 through 44. But it's keeping our eyes on Jesus Christ. Keeping our eyes on that mark to keep us focused. You search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life. But the scriptures point to me. Yet you refuse to come to me to receive this life. Your approval means nothing to me. Because I know you don't have God's love within you. For I have come to you in my Father's name, and you have rejected me. Yet if others come in their own name, you gladly welcome them. No wonder you can't believe. For you're, you gladly honor each other, but you don't care about the honor that comes from the one who alone is God. Frank Shorter said, nobody has ever won a marathon that didn't start at the starting line. And the reality is, a life of faith with Christ has to have a beginning point. When you recognize and know that you are a sinner and you are in need of forgiveness and you do need Jesus Christ, the starting point, and then allowing Jesus to walk the rest of your life with you. Yesterday morning in my quiet time, I wrote the following, Father, empower me to do the better and the harder thing. Please you. And then I put, it is so easy to just please people. I don't know about you, but I can do that pretty easy. When I was on this ship in the Navy, we were on our way to the Philippines. And it was about just a week into the travel. And, and we have a picture of the ship I was actually on. That's a USS Starrett. And uh, a guy by the name of Bob Baumgartner, he was superior to me. He said, Al, listen, you're a Christian and he said, I know that you have faith. And he went on this thing and uh, basically just having fun with me. He said, tonight I'm going to give you something to challenge you. And so he told me to go to the bridge of the ship at midnight. He said, you'll have a, a, a duty from 12 to 4 on the bridge. I went up. I looked in. I was told, look into a red light at the bridge of the ship. And that will help adjust your eyes to the dark. And I did that and got out, uh, got into the bridge. And Bob met me. And Bob said, Al, tonight you're on the helm. I said, Bob, I've never done that before in my life. Well, first mistake, no excuses in the military. So I went to the helm. That's the second mistake, because I didn't know what I was doing. The officer of the deck said, helmsman, steer to course, and he gave the course. Aye, aye, sir, had no clue what to do. He said again, helmsman, steer to course, gave it again. Aye, aye, sir. I'm, I'm at least saying, aye, aye, sir, but I didn't know what to do. Finally, the officer of the deck started saying things I will not repeat in here. Bob Bobgardner came over to the helm. He spun the wheel. It wasn't that wheel, guys. Uh, the one I was behind, I couldn't see over top of. So it was a little bit different. But here, he sp I spun the wheel. It hits Bob's arm. Bob's now saying things. I still didn't know what to do. For the next four hours, 
I was at that helm, and I learned what to do. You see, there's an instrument panel in front. You're, that is your guide. You're not looking out into the sea and thinking, which way should the ship be going? You're just focused on the compass. And Jesus Christ wants to be our compass. He wants to be the one to, to direct our life. He wants to keep us pointing in the right direction. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 8. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For this sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ. Let's bow our heads together, please. Thank you so much, Pastor Al. Let other believers, strong believers, encourage us. Lay aside the obstacles that are hurting us. And then keep our eyes on Christ. That's a message that all of us can identify with today, isn't it? I'd like to ask you today to look into your heart and see what God's trying to give you from that message. Then we're going to sing a song and I think it would be appropriate today for all of us to respond to how God is leading us relative to what Pastor Al just said. Dear Lord, we thank you for this day which you've given to us and the encouragement of running the race. Uh, Lord, help us to run it exactly like you teach us to right here in Hebrews chapter 12. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand together as we sing our invitation song and if you feel a need in your heart to come and pray about something that's going on in your life or the life of a friend, maybe you've never accepted Christ as your Savior. Maybe you've never walked down an aisle in a church and knelt at the altar and said, Lord, I'm lost. I'm separated from you. Well, this, this would be a good time to do it this morning because the Lord is here. He'll hear your prayer. Let's sing.
singing today. Thank you, Brother Al, for that good message. Amen. Thank you. You know, I called Al the first of the week. I said, you know, I think something's going on with my throat. I better call Al Finney to the rescue. And so I sure am glad that I did. There's all kind of bugs going around uh, right now. Mike, come on up here a minute. I want to give a demonstration. For the next uh, few weeks or however long it takes us, in, instead of doing the handshake, let's do this. Okay? Okay, so we had, we had fun with this in the first service. I just warned people, make sure you know where this is going now. Don't injure anybody, but it's a whole lot more sanitary, okay? So turn around and greet each other right now. God bless you. You're dismissed. Yeah. 